0: Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Okay, friends, today our guest is someone I highly admire in so many ways. I geeked out for weeks knowing I was going to have the opportunity to speak with him. Every time I hear him speak, I take never-ending pages of notes and I leave with my brain literally exploding with new insight and goodness. And now I can happily say he is my friend. Hallelujah. (laughs) So today we are talking to the ever-so-wise John Mark Homer. John Mark lives, works, and writes in the urban center of Portland, Oregon with his wife, Tammy, and their three children, Jude, Moses, and Sunday. He is the brilliant pastor for teaching and vision at Bridgetown Church, and boy, does he do an incredible job. Prior to planning Bridgetown, John Mark was a lead pastor of a suburban megachurch, and even before that, he played in a band, so he is a man of many talents, that's for sure. John Mark has a master's degree in biblical and theological studies from Western Seminary, and he is the author of Garden City, Loveology, God Has a Name, and My Name is Hope. Our conversation today was largely spurred about by his book, Loveology, about the topics of love, sex, and marriage. We answer some incredible questions about the theology of love and dating, and we dive into some harder questions like physical boundaries and masturbation. This is not one you're going to want to miss. Though it's one of my favorite interviews to date, I have to apologize in advance that at times our audio got a little bit spotty. Forgive me, but I promise the content and John Mark's wisdom is so worth the listen. John Mark Comer, I have been looking forward to this day for some time. Thank you for jumping in the boat with me as we prepare to you know, navigate these murky waters of dating.
1: So happy to be with you.
0: <laughs> On a scale from one to excited, how pumped are you to talk about dating today with me?
1: <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> I, I just woke up this ask. morning and I just thought, man, that what I have to offer the world is right here,
0: it, right here with all the dating knowledge. Sorry, that, and
1: that's sarcasm. <laughs> I just am, yeah. I'm chuckling to talk about dating as a 37 year old married man.
0: <laughs> I love uh, it.
1: <laughs> the irony is thick, and so it's your funeral, not mine. But here I am.
0: I still think, I just want you to know, I really highly respect you, your teachings, and above all, I really do think, despite what you may think, that you have an incredible perspective on the concepts of love, sex, dating, and of course, marriage. You're probably very skilled at that by now.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Well, you're very gracious. I mean, I, I do pastor a church full of yes, you know, you do. 68% single people. There you and go. So pastorally, I'm in this conversation nonstop. Even though I'm not an, and I think, you know, what I might, might have something to say too, is the theology behind both singleness and marriage and sexuality, more than the kind of tips for how to be a 30 something single person isn't, I'm not the go-to source for that, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, we very much are going to look forward to talking about the theology of all of that. But before we dive in, I just want to say something. I've heard that we share a really amazing thing in common. Okay. We apparently share a sincere love for the Enneagram.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. If you you can love something that exposes your roots in and shadow side and ulterior motivation for everything if, if exactly. love is the word to use then yes we share a love
0: i know it's like a love-hate relationship but <clears> i'm yeah. a three what are you
1: i am a very uh down the middle type one you are <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah everything's about right or wrong just or unjust the need to the need to be perfect.
0: Right. And we have a few similar things, the threes and the ones, because I think we both care about striving for success, right? The yeah. threes, ones are more perfect. The threes and ones
1: look very similar from the outside, but we are driven by very different motivations.
0: Yeah. And the ones I think they're more like uh soul connected and the heart and the threes are more heart connected, at least from what I've my reading on it in the intelligence centers.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. There you have it. Yep. There you go. And you, and you threes are supposed to be hopelessly out of touch with your feelings, but you seem you seem self-aware. You seem in you touch. Know what? with what? I know, the right? From the being. brief
0: time you've known me, I'm really in touch with my feelings, John Mark.
1: That's right. <laughs> my heart. And, th- um, and threes are the most productive of all the types. You people run the world. You get stuff done. So here we are on your pad- podcast in your spare time, just getting. It I know, out
0: there. right? You know, you saying that is like actually feeding my inner need for having affirmation. So thank you for doing that.
1: Done. Yeah, I'm just
0: here <laughs> There that. we go. Yeah. So we have a lot to cover today. I don't want to waste a moment because I just great. want everyone to be able to, to soak in all of what you have to say. And so I just want to start quickly with your marriage. And I know you have a great marriage with your wife, Tammy. Uh, She is such a beautiful woman. She's a lovely soul. And I did have the pleasure of briefly meeting both of you guys just a few months ago here in LA. And that was such a treat to meet y'all. And, you know, I've heard you mention before and specifically read it in your book, Loveology, that you said that in a way, when you met Tammy, it was kind of love at first sight, um, which is something you don't always hear. And so it brings about some interesting questions for me on the topic of love. So what I want to begin today with asking you about is your knowledge and expertise on, you know, what does being in love really mean as a Christian?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really important question because I think the scripture and the New Testament in particular has so much to say about love. But if we're not careful, we import our culture's definition of love into it and we miss the whole thing, you know? And I think we have at least two working definitions of love going on right now. Normally in culture at large, especially when we're chatting about romance or marriage or anything like that, when people say love, what they usually mean is overwhelming feelings of affection, warmth, like, desire, lust, even, you know, chemistry toward another person. And it tends to be passive, not active. Meaning Mm -hmm. love is something that happens to you, not something that you do to another person. Hence Mm the saying, fall in love, as if, you know, oh, look, I just tripped and fell into love or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is nowhere even close to what Jesus means when he talks about love or what Paul means when he talks at great length about love. Um, Not that the emotional kind of feelings of affection aren't a part of it. But the New Testament or the biblical word that would be closer to that would be the word compassion. Mm. That's the emotional word. So in the New Testament, this idea of compassion is when you look at somebody, when Jesus looks at the crowd, has compassion on them. That's, That's that emotional world as he's moved in his gut and his interior world. He's overwhelmed by this emotion of attachment toward another person. When Jesus talks about love, it has more to do with will than with emotion. Love Mm -hmm. is the decision of the will and of the heart to put another person's good ahead of your own, to Mm -hmm. sacrifice your good on the altar of another person's flourishing. So it has more. It is very active, not passive at all. It is Mm -hmm. something that you're empowered to do by the Holy Spirit, why he can command you to love your enemy. When Jesus says, love your enemy, he doesn't mean, you know, have romantic feelings or feel warmth as the emotions toward your enemy. He means set your will on their good and flourishing above your own. Mm, wow. So I think this, of course, has profound implications for talking about romance. And that's not to disparage the feelings of love and of affection. You have an entire book in the Bible, the Song of Songs, that's written to celebrate them. But the problem is you just can't build any long-term relationship off of that definition of love. Otherwise, you'll just skip from relationship to relationship, you know, every few years once the feelings fade and the passive side of love is gone.
0: Do you think that in some ways as a culture we tend to worship love sometimes versus maybe worshiping God?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that's even a question. You don't have to be a pundit or a yeah. commentator to figure that out. Just watch TV. Behind the larger picture of that is our culture has moved toward, you know, in the past, um, not only in American culture, but in all great societies, the will and the heart, the center of the desire in a human being. You had good desires and bad desires. In the language of Augustine, a fourth century theologian, you had good will, you know, good loves and bad loves. He said that Augustine said that the main problem in the world is disordered loves, meaning that we love the wrong things or we love the right things in the wrong order. That was the core issue of what's wrong in human civilization. So every thriving civilization, Christian or not, including Hindu, Buddhist, Greco-Roman, has always said that the human heart is this mixed bag of good desires and bad desires, good loves and bad loves. And so one of the tearing things about Western culture as a whole and American culture right now is we're losing this idea and uh, moving to what there's a sociologist by the name of Charles Taylor, very influential thinker who's done all that kind of seminal work around getting our heads around secularism. And he writes about the move from authority-based culture where you know, your your vision of reality was rooted in the authority of traditions such as the church and the king and the Bible, religion, to what he called an authenticity culture, where it's all about be true to yourself. And so we're really one of the first advanced societies to say, Hey, the human heart isn't that much of a mixed bag. Just be true to yourself, meaning live in line with your feelings rather than trying to um, temper a lot of those feelings or restrain a lot of those impulses. And so what we call freedom is the ability to kind of do whatever you want. And most of the us would all say that's, that's slavery. That's not freedom. Mm. And the result of that will be misery, not human flourishing. And I think Mm. we're already seeing that. Um, obviously you're, we're all aware of just what hookup culture is doing, what the sexual revolution of the sixties has done, what the divorce breakdown of the family has done is fracturing, romantic and human soul across an entire generation.
0: Yeah. I heard, I think, actually, I was just about to quote, I think you in your book, you say that at, at this rate, at the, where we are in culture today is you have like one in two chances of survival, uh, like as of today, like a 50% chance of surviving. And so much of that also divorce rates are, are driven from irreconcilable differences and probably just a lack of feeling like in love with the person over time. Yes. So in a relationship where in a Christian dating relationship, let's say, um, how do we discern in those situations that it's God's voice telling us that the person is for us or conversely navigate if we are just falling into a deep infatuation with the person? How do we go about like navigating that?
1: Yeah. And of course, there's no formula to that or, you know, acronym to follow. I'm sure there's an acronym out there somehow, but it's the, it's the age old time tested wisdom from the way of Jesus. Uh, Mm. Of course, first you test everything up against the person and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. Then you test everything up against the scripture. And, you know, the main point of God's will for relationship is that you go about a dating relationship the way that Jesus would go about a dating relationship, which is obviously a goofy question to ask. But that is the core of apprenticeship to Jesus. You know, we think yeah. what Jesus do, and that's not all bad. People push back on that. But a better way to phrase that is what would Jesus do if he were me? Okay. So if Jesus were, you know, a 37-year-old INTJ in the Myers-Briggs, introverted father of three living in a city that's post-Christian well, as a pastor, as his job, what would he do? Versus what would Mm -hmm. Jesus do if he was Kate, if he was single, if he was female, if he lived in L.A. in 2018? Mm -hmm. That's a far more helpful way to phrase that question. So I think, um, so back to your thing, you know, you have have tested against Jesus, tested against the scripture, make it holy, Mm -hmm. meaning do that dating relationship the way that to the best of your ability you think Jesus would go about dating this person if he was a single woman or man or whatever. And then I think community is massive. That would be the other just no dating relationship should ever be done in isolation. Mm. That's just a disaster waiting to happen because the beauty of of love is that we don't see clearly and the the danger of it as well. You Mm. need people around you that aren't infatuated with the person that you're infatuated with Mm. and aren't infatuated with you to speak honestly and truthfully into your situation and weigh in. And nobody has like the, you know, one line, line to the voice of God, but to mm. weigh in and just, it can be as simple as I think this is a good fit, or I think it's a bad fit, or here's three things I think that are great, or here's three red flags I have about your relationship or whatever. Often I think dating is done in isolation. And then if we want, you know, others input, it's we're, we're more looking for people to bless what we want to hear rather than we are looking for honest feedback from our community that's actually in relationship with both of us. So you can get anybody to sign off on you doing almost anything to some level, you know, that's different than doing life in community, knowing and being known as a couple and then opening yourself up to honest input from any, and that community. And even, you know, we believe I've, I have a high, high value for community, our families in community, And we make all major decisions with their community. So any decision over a $1,000 has to be approved by several members in our community. Any work thing or a move or, or, you know, we would never dream of making that decision without the affirmation and approval of our community, which is about 25 people that we do life with. And I just think that's how Jesus set us up. So that's the other layer. And then the final layer is just that inner Whatever you want to call it, um, still, still, small voice in the language of the Mm. the prophet Elijah's story, but just that inner witness, that inner sense of the inclination and the movement of God on the heart. And so, um, and then, of course, you're looking at circumstances and all that kind of stuff. So it's just almost like a. I've heard one writer call it a holy triangulation. If you think Mm. of like a like a surveyor, you know, out and they. They get these, you know, get at least three points to kind of map something. It's almost that like like a holy triangulation. You're like comparing Jesus and the Bible to what is my community saying to what's my like inner movement of my heart toward. And you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And you're almost like getting seen if all of these start to point in the same direction at some point, then you can start to feel really great about your decision, you know? Mm -hmm. But again, this is not. We're, this is not magic. I'm just trying to make wise decisions that are in line with the person of Jesus and the movement of the Holy Spirit in our life.
0: Yeah, I've never heard that before, and I love that. I'm really big into graphs and pictures, and like I, I love that picture though of the Holy triangulation of Jesus, community, and the inner small voice in. Um, just navigating the three of those. And I think that, I mean, you're right. There is no perfect magic formula, but having those, just navigating all three of those at the same time. I do love, especially what you said about community too, because um, I think often that can be hard because not only do we want people around us to be honest with us, but we have to be honest with people about what's actually going on in the relationship too. Yeah. You have to let
1: them in. Otherwise they're not going to be able to give you good input.
0: Right. So being open to be what's really going on. I think as men and women and because of pride, because of so many things, we're often hesitant to actually admit to our friends um, yes. or in people in community what's really going on. Yes. So we just need to be open in general to talking and being vulnerable about what's really happening. Uh, because if we only give people the perfect picture, then, of course, <laughs> you know, that's. Yeah. You that's get them to sign
1: up. And that's where community comes down to actually being by each other and with each and time together. You want to spend enough time with your community that you couldn't fake it even if you wanted to, that they're, they're picking up on the little clues of what's actually going on that relationship. You know, otherwise we're just curating the little bits and pieces of ourselves that we want to be vulnerable with to other people than being in community where they see the whole thing. The other thing you have to remember about this conversation around romance and marriage and Mm singles for a follower of Jesus is I think there's there's the myth of the soulmate out there that I think is not only uh, out of line with the scripture, I think it's a toxic and unhealthy idea, but it's connected to this myth that there's this perfect kind of scenario out there that is God's will for my life, this Mm -hmm. kind of blueprint where I make the right decision and then everything just goes swimmingly. And that's just not how life, this side of the resurrection works. It's not right. how life is in this age of overlap between this age and the age to come, between earth and heaven. And reality is messy. There is no perfect scenario. There's no perfect spouse. There's nobody that was custom fit just for you. There's no perfect marriage. There's no perfect dating relationship. And so I think that the, hunt perf- the myth of perfection and the hunt of perfection hold so many singles and couples back mm. from experiencing the relationships that could flourish and thrive. I mean, I love Tim Keller. I don't know if you've read his yeah. book, the meaning of marriage. You read that? Yes,
0: of course. That is on my nightstand. It's, oh, it's How can amazing. I have a dating podcast without that one? It is
1: it's the best thing out there. And yeah. when I, I don't officiate a lot of weddings when I do, I just have two requirements that it's like a deal breaker. You have to, if I'm going to officiate your wedding one, you have to write your own vows. <laughs> because yeah, I believe I that. that the vows are the most important part of a marriage ceremony, not mm. the ceremony itself, and definitely not the party. And two, you have to read the meaning of marriage because it's so good. But anyway, he makes yeah. this point in there. He's a beautiful kind of section where he's beating up on that, the myth of a soulmate kind of thing or the, the, the one, you know, and he's this beautiful, I could not quote it from memory, but this thing on how at some level every other person on the planet is a bad match for you. It's just that some of those people are a lot less of a bad match than others. And that sounds more cynical taken out of context than his heart's not cynical at all. But I love that what he's just writing is there's nobody out there that is the perfect match for your personality. Everybody will have things that are imperfect about them. You have things that are imperfect about you They will rub you the wrong way. Mm -hmm. You will rub them the wrong way. You could make a list of pros and cons about every other human being on the planet, and every one of them is going to have some cons on their side. Don't do that, by the way, but I'm just hypothetical scenario. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah totally.
1: But the point is, there are some that are going to be less of a bad match, that are going to have you know, far more pros than cons, so to speak, in that framework, that are going to be far better personality fit with you, temperament fit with you life stage, career, vision, heart posture with you. But there is nobody out there that is the perfect match for the perfect marriage, for the perfect life. That life is yet to come at the resurrection of the dead in what Jesus called the kingdom of the heavens. And we need to make sure that we don't freight our hopes into marriage.
0: Hey, friends, question for you. Are you ready to take our relationship to the next level? (laughs) Don't worry. This is a good thing. I want to invite you to be a part of the heart of dating inner circle. I am so thankful for Patreon because it gives artists and creators the ability to raise funds to do what they do best in crafting amazing works for their communities by allowing you, the fiercest of the fierce audience, to sign up for monthly pledges to support. You can sign up to support this podcast for as little as $5 a month, which these days is equivalent to one hipster cup of coffee. Let's just be real. So what's in it for you? Our Patreon clan will have first access to our episodes, as well as behind the scenes looks into interviews, process and more. It would mean the world to me if you checked out the Heart of Dating Patreon page so we can together empower others to live their best dating lives. I really want to continue to bring you helpful episodes, the best possible interviews, and stellar content. You can find out more at www.patreon.com forward slash heartofdating. So I want to talk to you quickly about boundaries, and this is a topic that's discussed frequently, and it seems that everyone kind of has their own view on what is right and what is wrong. And some ways, I guarantee that people are hesitant to admit to a pastor like yourself um, what's really going on, but to be honest, we all talk about it and we all struggle with it, Um, and it's different for different people. Some people decide to not kiss until they're married. Um, Some people do decide that that's okay for them before getting married how do you feel that we should navigate what is right for us as Christians in physical relations and boundaries within the context of a dating relationship?
1: Yeah. And of course there's not a right or wrong answer. Some things are clearly sin and other things are, you know, I don't know very, I don't know very few people that would have an issue with handholding or something like that, you know? Right. So there's a whole lot of ground in between, you know, sex and handholding. And so where, you know, so, I think basic principles, you know, that each couple has to flesh out. There's not a part of the reason there's not an answer for that is because everybody, every couple is different Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of it has to do with the veracity of that person's will or Mm self-control. So like my wife and I had to draw really strict boundaries around Mm -hmm. us, but that was because of our immature, not because of our maturity. It was because our lack of self-control, not because we were so self-controlled. So if, if that makes sense, it's much easier right. to just not kiss than it is to kiss and have to advocate self-control. Does that make sense? Yeah, so totally. The more self-control you have in theory, the more freedom that you are able to take in your physical expression of relationship together. Um but I think that my immaturity and lack of self-control in that area is not rare. I think that is more the yeah. norm than the exception to the rule. Completely. So, um, yeah, but I think as a, je- a couple of basic principles, one is, you know, your first question shouldn't be, what can we do? It can be how holy can we make this relationship? Mm. And that sounds cliche, but that, that should be the overarching <laughs> philosophy. It's not, yeah. what can we get away with without having to repent on Sunday? It's how, Happy we make Jesus with this relationship? How can we honor Jesus, each other, and our own bodies as created in the image of God um, and holiness through this relationship, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that needs to be the, the question that drives all of this. And right. then I think, you know, um, a second kind of rule of thumb is don't do anything that causes arousal. So if you're doing something and it's causing arousal, don't, that's just a marriage thing. That's not a dating thing. And, and that's the beauty of none of this is a don't. It's all a not now. It's just a wait, not a don't, right. you know? And yeah. so that, that could give you excitement and anticipation for the future. But I think anything that leads to arousal is just taking you down long path. Third thing I'd say is talk about it openly and honestly, mm-hmm. and as non-romantic as it sounds, get it up there and agree to some kind of, to agree to boundaries. Then the guy might have one set of boundaries in mind and the gal, another, you know, and we can stereotype who's going to say what, but that's, (laughs) those stereotypes are not all that helpful, but it can be done in a creative romantic way where you're doing it to honor each other and honor the mystery and, and keep that mystery alive and the sanity of your relationship and your sexuality So um, and then the last thing I'd say is just uh, once you come up with some boundaries, first off, brainstorm those boundaries with your community and then have your community hold you to it. So have your community regularly checking in, asking, how are you doing? Are you staying inside the boundaries that you set Mm -hmm. with our counsel and advice kind of thing? You know, And I, I think if you're asking those kinds of questions. You're going to be doing good for, and and then just be really careful. Not the last thing I'd say is just don't put yourselves in situations of temptation. You know, temptation is not a sin, but how the decisions we make can set us up for or against temptation. So you know what I mean. So yeah, it's not tempted want to you know have sex with somebody that you're falling in love with or dating or attracted to. But if you go to each other's apartment late at night alone and there's mood lighting on and you know, Beyonce's playing. Bonnie in the background, there or Beyonce. Li- yeah. Okay,
0: yeah. Okay, we'll light go a there. Candle, and
1: you're like, well, I just fell into it. and I'm Like, no, you didn't. You walked straight into it. Like that was yeah. a series of unwise decisions that created an environment of overwhelming temptation and no accountability. So you yeah. don't wanna you don't wanna of your own free will place yourself in environments, whether it be an apartment alone or whatever, where temptation goes up and accountability goes down. You want to do the opposite. You want to place yourself in environments where temptation goes down and accountability goes up.
0: Totally. Those are really amazing. And it's hard because like I know you probably get asked that question by people in your church community a lot, but I think us as Christian singles, we we still we still need that direction. Um so a question for you on that uh, on that point is let's say the couple is doing very their very best to not cross boundaries. Um, but let's say they mess up, they fall into some sort of sexual sin or they potentially even end up having sex. What how what's the recommendation for The couple moving forward, because that's a conversation I've also been privy to in so many of my friendships.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Again, there's no formula for any of this. First thing they need to do is confess that sin. So don't they can't if you just keep it to yourself and you say sorry, we'll try harder next time, that's a winning formula to make the same mistake again. And of course, once you've gone down that road um, it will be easier, not harder to go down that road again, or it will be harder to not go down that road than it was before. Not, not easier. So the formula of, Oh, we just feel guilt and shame. Sorry about that, honey. Let's not do that again. Try harder. That's a, that is a surefire formula for failure, not for success. And there's no formula, but I think, you know, patterns, healthy parallels would be confession right off the bat, confess to your community, if there's a spiritual authority in your life that um, you feel safe with, a pastor or a parent or mm. a mentor, somebody with authority in your life, ideally them as well, bring that out in the open. So confession, repentance, a new commitment to holiness, and then any freedoms that you were taking, I would then suspend those freedoms of your own free will and volition. So let's say you were allowing yourself to you know, kiss on the couch or whatever, just take away that freedom at least for a period of time, because the key thing isn't just not having sex again. The key thing is building a relationship on trust. And Mm. that's what, that's what so many people who are dating forget as non romantic as it sounds to not have sex or not, whatever Mm. what you're doing is you're both strengthening your willpower, which is a core aspect of our apprenticeship. Jesus, like opening our willpower to the Holy spirit, to strengthen it as a muscle, what you're what you're trying to do is build strengthen that willpower and build trust that you have control over your bodies. And that trust has to be built. Otherwise, for the rest of your marriage, anytime one of you's gone on a you know business trip or a conference, there's always that question in the back of your mind. And you know, when you're dating, you tend to just have all this passion and sexual attraction toward each other. But as the years go by, as children might come and go, your body might be changed for the woman or for the man. Um, there's obviously like the familiarity that comes with relationship sexually, which which changes the sexuality in relationship. Doesn't make it worse, just makes it different. And yeah. so my point is you need to know how to have that sexual desire and be in control of it, not controlled by it. And your partner needs to know that. Your spouse needs to know, this is somebody I can trust to control their sexuality as an act of love. And yeah. that's why it's so key. So that's when a couple messes up. It's not just about, oh, let's not have sex again so we don't feel guilty. It's about, let's lay a foundation of trust in our relationship that lasts a lifetime. As a married man, you know, I'm not I'm no relational guru, so it took me, I, I didn't go into this realizing how key trust is, but as a married man, let me tell you, trust is literally the foundation of the relationship. And, mm. you know, and, and most of us can figure that out. We're only really vulnerable with people that we deeply trust. And mm. it's only when we're really vulnerable that we actually experience real love. Because real love, the kind of love that transforms us, the love of Christ is the love that my wife has for me. It's not a, I think you're hot and I want to have sex with you a lot and I really like you. That doesn't transform us. That makes us feel good. It doesn't transform us. Love that transforms us is I see everything that's ugly and impure and wrong about you. And I still love and even like you and put your will ahead of my own. That's the Mm. love that transforms us. And that requires, in order to experience that kind of transforming love, we have to be ruthlessly vulnerable with each other. Mm -hmm. And that's why trust is such a key part of the relationship.
0: Oh, my word. Okay. Just throwing it down there, John Mark. Just throwing it down. (laughs) It's so good. I want to go to another really kind of difficult topic. So I just want to go there with you. Okay. Are you ready to just go there right now about this question? (laughs) I don't know if you know what's coming, but
1: (laughs) I have no idea what's coming and you just built it up. So now I'm nervous, but all right. No,
0: no, you got it. You got it. Okay. So this topic is frankly not discussed frequently, but, um, I'm just going to go out and say it, you know, what do you think the boundaries are with, um, with lust and then, and masturbation?
1: Oh yeah, no, no, that's no. nothing to be embarrassed about. I mean, <laughs> okay. that—that's yeah, it's, um, that's just like, that's a bit of a tricky one because the scriptures don't speak directly to masturbation at all, but yeah. they speak directly a lot about lust. So right. you know, um, theoretically, there's a world where you could masturbate and not lust. Uh, in my personhood, that I, I don't see the feasibility of that. But I'm told by other people that I respect that uh, some men, and I don't know that this is true for women, but some men uh, can masturbate without lusting. All that to say, I think there is a time and a place um, for some people, not for me, where you masturbate without lust, not for the purposes of sexual gratification, but for sexual release. And I think that's key. Um, if you're doing it for the pleasure of that feeling, then you're you know, you're on the road to lust, left, if not at the destination. Alternative would be if it is a form of sexual release in order to allow your mind to be more holy and more focused on what God is doing in through your life. So I just want to create space for if there's somebody, if there is a man, I don't think this is true, Forgive me, but of the way that female physiology were it's different. Um, if that, if there's a man that yeah. uh, you know, is able to masturbate without lusting for the purpose of release, not gratification, I think the scriptures don't speak to that and that's a gray area and a freedom that if he had peace to take, he could take. But I think for whatever percentage of men, I'm just gonna say the majority of men. I don't know if the majority is fifty one percent or ninety nine percent, but whatever, I'm in the majority here, I think that you can't masturbate without lusting, and the line between gratification and relief is really fuzzy. So Mm -hmm. I think my encouragement would be more of a strong warning against that and allow Mm -hmm. your body to work out sexual release through dreams and night and its natural processes as set up by God. The challenge, what this is hitting on, the great challenge of our day and age is that human beings become sexual around 13 or 14 and now we marry in our late 20s or, in context, usually in our late 30s. So, you know, in historic cultures, when you would marry by 14 or 15, you know, you mm-hmm. might have a year or two between sexualization and marriage. Now, but that's how most cultures around the world still are to this day and definitely went yeah. down through history. and. And just physiologically, that's when a man and a woman's sexuality is often most fertile and most at its peak, and the body is young and flexible and pliable, and are physiological factors that are just science that you're just working with. But all that to say, very different than a a Mary, mother of Jesus who maybe was sexualized a year or two before she married Joseph, and somebody now who might not get married until their third date, might have, you know, two and a half decades between puberty and marriage. So it's a whole other—and it doesn't mean it can't be done. Jesus was single. Paul was single and advocated for saleness and celibacy. It can be done, I and mean, it's a beautiful place for it, not only in society but in the kingdom of God, but it is an acute problem that I do think should lead people to think seriously about marriage. You know, Paul's whole thing in Corinthians, turn to marry than to burn. If you can't, you know, control yourself sexually, if you're, or a better way to say it, if you're just overrun by sexual desire— then his advocacy is find a partner as the context for you to enjoy and express your sexuality.
0: So just in keeping in line with everything we've been discussing in terms of physical relations, boundaries and sex, what do you personally think is an appropriate time to be vulnerable in relationship and talk about sexual past with the dating partner?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's an exact answer to that. It's different for each person based on their sexual history Um, the sexual history or lack thereof of their boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance and so there's no answer to that there's just you know do it in community do it with listening prayer open to what the spirit is saying what your community is saying wisdom discernment obviously too much you don't want to drop your whole sexual history on date one two or three in the name of honesty neither do you want to mislead somebody down a path of a relationship with a whole part of who you are and what's been a part of your past you know, um, hidden to them. You want no secrets. So, and for some people, it looks like kind of layers kind of dripping that information over the months as the relationship progresses, like, mm. you know, maybe letting somebody know on the front end, there's a history, there's some past that you worked through and moved on. And if you continue the relationship, then let's talk about it more down the road kind of thing, you know? Um, but again, that just depends on who yeah. the person is, how sensitive, what's their disposition, temperament, is this an area of deep wounding for them where, you know, their father had an affair or their mother mm. had an affair and it broke their family apart and a so deep wound or is it, you know, not, not in the same way for them. So again, not a right answer there. I just think that's a wisdom question.
0: Wisdom and knowing when and the time, right time to be vulnerable, but probably not on date three, m- yeah. most likely, but yeah.
1: Yep. But it's it's not a moral or theological question. That's a a wisdom question, you know?
0: Totally. Yeah, but it's helpful just to even have your input on that. It's so helpful. So, John Mark, it has been quite the pleasure speaking to you today. And selfishly, I wish we could continue, but we are out of time. Um, And before we go, I ask everyone just a really quick final question. Um, And so the question is, what is like a top line piece of dating advice you would give just a very quick snippet to our Heart of Dating listeners? I
1: think make it holy. That might sound cliche. No, it's good. But constantly ask yourself the question, how would Jesus treat this person relationally, emotionally, sexually, um, Mm time-wise, if he were me? If Jesus were a single man or single woman uh, dating this person, how would he go about it? And let that question be your daily question mm, to which your relationship good. is a search for an answer. I'm
0: um, okay so we are gonna wrap up here and I just want everyone to know where can they find you or the your books. You've authored what four different books, right? Including Livology, which is an amazing book and reference for everyone dating, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. And it's it's all my website, Johnmarkcomer.com or social media. I'm, I'm not hard to find.
0: And you have you just started a podcast as well, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I have a podcast, There's a, we are churches, a podcast that I yep. teach on most Sundays. And then, yeah, my dear friend, Mark Sayers and I, who's an Australian from Melbourne, we just started a podcast called this cultural moment, kind of chatting about post-Christian culture and all of the implications for us yeah. as we follow Jesus.
0: It's so cool. I've listened to every episode and it's been awesome. So thank you for that. It's amazing. Oh, cool. I love to hear uh, you guys. talk. It. So it's really cool. Fun. John Mark, you've been awesome today. Thank you for just blessing us with your time and your wisdom. Um, I'm so thankful.
1: You got it. Thanks. Great to chat to you. All the best.
0: I wish that interview could go on forever. I don't know about you guys, but I could not take notes fast enough. Seriously, I particularly love some things Jean-Marc brought up relating to love. He says that when Jesus talks about love, it has more to do about will than emotion. He says that love is a decision of the will and of the heart to put another person's good ahead of your own, to sacrifice your good on the altar of another's flourishing. So if you love Jean-Marc's teaching today, then I can just about pretty much guarantee you'll love one of his books. We reference Loveology quite a bit, but he has three other amazing books books as well. You can find him on Instagram at John Mark Comer, and you can visit his website, johnmarkcomer.com, and you can hear his sermons on iTunes as well at Bridgetown Audio. He also has another newly launched podcast called This Cultural Moment with his friend Mark Sayers, and they chat about post-Christian culture, and it is wildly interesting. Today was so enriching for me. I hope y'all feel the same. Also, if you support this mission, I'd love, love, love for you to hit subscribe on iTunes, please, please, please. You can also stay up to date with show notes on heartofdating.com and you can follow along on Instagram at, at heart of And you know, if you happen to know a friend or two that might need some dating help, I'd love for you to share this with them and get them to also support this. We have some amazing guests coming up in the coming weeks and I am confident you will love it. So stick with me as we journey through this together. Until next time, friends.